Brilliant. Great. <laughs> uh, let's jump in, shall we? Well, a good morning from me, and uh, we are traveling through a series looking at the book of Acts, the story of the early church, the first Christians. You have the gospel stories in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The very next book is the What Happened Next. And three weeks ago, Jesse brought us the story of Pentecost, which is the Holy Spirit making a dramatic entrance onto the early church scene with something like tongues of fire appearing and separating over each of Jesus' followers, and then praising God and declaring God's mighty works in the languages of all the people from all around, from Libya to Egypt to modern-day Iraq to Rome. All of those people who happened to be in Jerusalem for a festival heard a bunch of mostly uneducated fishermen and farmers from a poor region of Israel boldly declaring God's power and might and what he's been up to, but in their own languages, which the disciples didn't know, naturally. Fantastic miracle. If you have a Bible or Bible device with you, can I encourage you to Google Acts 2 and join me? I'll be reading in the English Standard Version as we go through. So let's recap a little bit. Verse 7 and 8 from Acts chapter 2 record these crowds saying... Uh, and they were astonished, amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Moving on to verse 11, they say again, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So, what happens next is Peter, the chief of the disciples, stands up, and in verse 14, he says, I'll tell you what it means. It means I really, really, really want to get on with my talk. <laughs> He's here all week, try the Bible. Jeremy, a couple of weeks ago, opened up for us the first half of Peter's talk to the crowds, explaining uh, what on earth is going on, what they're witnessing. Explains him that the kingdom of God uh, that the prophets had promised was indeed actually here. Acts 2, verses 17 and 18 uh, has the quote that Peter read out from the prophet Joel. This event... This thing that the crowds were witnessing was, in fact, God pouring out his spirit as the prophet Joel had predicted and promised. So Peter is laying out for the crowd that this thing that you're seeing, this is that. That miracle with the tongues and languages, that's that, guys. This is God pouring out his spirit. And it looks like miracles of language, amongst other things. It looks like God declaring his mighty works and making sure that everyone can hear about it, even through miraculous means. And what you should know about it, Peter tells the crowd, is that, as Peter quotes Joel in verse 21, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Peter's take home to them. So today, we're picking up the second half of Peter's message to the crowds, where Peter changes focus mid-talk from explaining, hey, this phenomenon that you're seeing, this is the kingdom of God promised by the prophets right here in front of you, to then changing to making the point, declaring to the crowds that this Holy Spirit, this kingdom of God coming here, 
This is because of, and it points to, Jesus. And Caitlin is going to hop up for us and read this morning's passage. You might want to grab a microphone if that's all right, mate. Um, Starting in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through to 36. Thanks, pal. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Thanks, pal. Thanks very much. So let's dig into that a little bit, starting back at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So Jesus, Peter says to the crowds, you know about Jesus, right? You guys have heard the stories, yeah? Some of you were even here to see that stuff for yourselves. You know, the 5,000, the water-walking business, yeah? You know how he was a man who God worked many wonders through, yeah? Many signs, yeah? You've heard that, Peter says to the crowd. You, you, You caught this? Signs from God like this one, yeah? Miracles like this one you've just seen? Yeah, Jesus was attested to you by God, men of Israel. Jesus was vouched for by the Father. That is who it's all about. Peter's main point in this passage is that God vouches for Jesus to a bunch of people for whom a human being could never be thought of as God. Peter's making the point, this Jesus guy, you've got to watch him. There's something about him you should know. God attests to us. God demonstrates to us who Jesus is by the signs and the wonders that Jesus performed. And this miracle of languages is just another one of those miraculous signposts to who Jesus is. 
given by God so that we could know him. And just who this Jesus is, is exactly where Peter's going with this explanation. But there's a problem to address before Peter can go any further down that line. The problem is this. If God was with Jesus, if Jesus was somehow sent by God, then what was he doing being allowed to be put to death on a cross? Surely, being crucified by the Romans is a sign of someone abandoned by God, not backed up by God. So Peter has to address what happened here and explain why Jesus' death doesn't disqualify Jesus from being from God. Verse 23, Peter tells the crowd, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Yes, yeah, so God knew in advance, so it's fine, doesn't count. This Jesus, yeah, you know that you, God's people, had lawless men, that's Romans, who don't have God's law in their lives, you had this lawless men group kill this Jesus on the cross, yeah? And you think that disqualifies him from being from God? Well, actually, this wasn't mission failed. This was part of the plan all along. God knew what you were going to do, and he had a better plan going on. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Jesus to be held by it. Again, you can sort of hear Peter leaning into the crowd going, oh yeah, you heard those resurrection stories? Yeah, I bet you did. You know, they're coming back from the grave thing? Yeah. You heard about Jesus rising from the dead? Yeah, well, let me tell you. Yup. Can confirm. We saw him. Easter Sunday, that's legit. And here's some scripture prophecy to show you that God planned it all along. And Peter then quotes from David, King David, about a thousand years before. David says concerning him, that is, in verse 25, David says from Jesus' point of view, though he might not have known it, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand so that I won't be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, that is, hell. Or, let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life, and you'll make me full of gladness with your presence. Peter's quoting from Psalm number 16 here, which I invite you to go and read in your own time later on. The rest of Psalm 16 also nudges towards this Messiah, this Savior. Uh, these are, are verses 8 to 11 from Psalm 16, uh, which Peter's referencing, and there's loads in it. Peter sees Jesus as saying, I saw the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, the God of all creation. I saw the Lord always before me. So this man, Jesus, who walked around Galilee and Jerusalem, this bloke who walked around on planet Earth somehow gets to see God and see him forever. That's, that's a pretty big claim about a human being. It's a pretty big claim about Jesus that Peter's making there. And then there's this business about God being at Jesus' right hand. Well, what's that about? The idea of being at someone's right hand contains a few things. So in a courtroom, you're, if you're a defendant, your representative, your counsel, stands at your right hand. So there's a sense of advocacy, of representation, of protection from someone who stood at your right hand in a courtroom. 
on a battlefield, you have your weapon in your right hand and your shield in your left. And if you're all lined up in the line, then everyone's right hand is doing the business up front and everyone's left hand is sort of protecting themselves and their neighbor. So on a battlefield, to have someone at your right hand means their shield overlaps you a little bit. You'd be pretty glad of a warrior at your right hand. If you're in a banquet, to be seated at someone's right hand was the place of honor. It was to be shown off as favored by the host. And in general, to offer the right hand of friendship or the right hand of fellowship is to hold someone firmly in friendship, in alliance with them. There's trustworthiness, firm reliability, protection, confidence that that person is for you. And intimacy, actually. All wrapped up in this idea of having someone at your right hand. So to have Yahweh, the Lord, at your right hand would indeed give you some confidence that you would not be shaken and that your heart would indeed be glad. Peter is showing by this quote of Psalm 16 to this crowd who would have known these Psalms, thanks very much. Peter's showing that Jesus is firmly unshaken in his relationship with God. He's not abandoned. God is at his right hand. And then this little gem in verse 27. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. God will not abandon the speaker of this psalm who, again, Peter is telling us this is Jesus just told to David a thousand years before it. God will not abandon the speaker of this psalm to Hades. This speaker knows that they're not doomed to an ending amongst the dead or the separated from God. And the specific phrase here that I want to draw your attention to is, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Now this is an interesting twist. Jesus, the one who was resurrected rather than abandoned to the grave forever, is referred to here as God's holy one. This is the title that the demon that Jesus casts out in Mark chapter 1 verse 24 uses to refer to Jesus. This demon shouts, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's another title. Uh, it's a title that's used elsewhere also by John, who hears an angel use this title to refer to God in the book of Revelation. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. So the Holy One then, especially God's Holy One, is a really specific title. In the New Testament, it's only used for God and, from the mouth of an evil spiritual being, for Jesus. So by Peter saying that this Jesus is God's Holy One, he's making a big claim about who Jesus is. This guy, this bloke, was not only attested to you by God, by many wonders and signs, not only raised from the dead, but... Psst, he's the Holy One. There is no doubt that this is firing off all sorts of connections in the minds of the crowd. This sounds like the Messiah. They're talking about him the way they talk about God. But he died. But God raised him from the dead? Huh? Could this be the long-promised saviour, God's anointed leader? Verse 28 Peter continues the quote. 
He says, you have made known to me, this is from Jesus' perspectives, you, God, have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Peter is now saying that God has made known to Jesus the path of life. In one sense, by raising Jesus up from, from the dead to resurrected life after his crucifixion, yeah, he's got a path to life there, great. In another sense, Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, by which we mean he was the first to be resurrected, a promise and a path that we're all to follow him. And in a third sense, by Jesus being in heaven, by, be, by Jesus being at the right hand of the Father and interceding for us, actually, Jesus offers us a path into life, but also a fullness of life here on earth. Not just, if you like, pie in the sky when you die, but stake on your plate while you wait. In John 10, chapter 10, Jesus says, in the second half, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, life to the full. Many of us in this room today know what it is to live life with Jesus in it, to know, not just in theory, but in practice, and in experience, the love of God, the peace of God, the excitement of God using us to give words and pictures that transform other people's lives, to use us even to heal other people. It's awesome. If you don't know that, if you haven't experienced it, if you've not discovered for yourself life with God's presence filling it, or even if you have, but you just want some more, then at the end of this talk, join the people who come forward for some prayer and stand about here and when someone comes along and says, hi, can I pray for anything for you? Say, yeah, I want life. I want life abundantly, and I want more of Jesus in it. And then it's their job to pray for you. <laughs> it's great. Maybe, if you like, ask for a miracle and just watch him. <laughs> Back to the crowd. Peter wants to make this absolutely clear that this psalm reference could not have been David speaking from his own point of view. Verse 29, Peter finishes his quote, turns to the crowd and says, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb was with us to this day. So, not David then. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Jesus' body didn't deteriorate. He was resurrected. Which is good, because that's what I said a few minutes ago, so um, that's reassuring, isn't it? Peter is applying the prophecy in these Psalms, laying it all out to the crowd, and then he says, this Jesus, verse 32, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. It comes back to experience. I'm convinced of it. We saw it. We're first-hand witnesses. We're telling you ourselves, take it or leave it. Peter's laid it all out for them. The Jesus that the crowd had heard about, Peter's pointing to him being foreseen in King David's Psalms a thousand years prior, giving the explanation from Scripture that backs it up, and then Peter's saying, yeah, and we saw him. We saw this stuff. This is real. Here I am, a flesh and blood witness to this stuff we're claiming. Verse 33. 
being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Now, I won't spend long on this, but just a little footnote. Now, it's God with Jesus at his right hand. There's a mutual right handship going on. I'll just flag that for you and then move on because we don't have time to dig into it, but it's a good thing. It's a partnership thing. Trinity what? Okay, great. That's where Jesus is now at the right hand of God. And by the way, Peter says, you, crowd, are now first-hand witnesses to the results of that. Unlucky. You've just seen this languages miracle, which is the work of Jesus even after his ascension to the Father, pouring out his spirit. Uh-oh. If you're skeptical of this Jesus, you're going to have some head-scratching to do about this. Peter's saying to the crowd, you're now not only second-hand witnesses to Jesus' miracles because you've seen us real people who were there, but you're first-hand witnesses to God's Holy Spirit. That's the thing I mentioned before from the prophet Joel, which is given to us to point to Jesus, God's Holy One. Which also means that if you didn't believe our stories about Jesus before, what you're seeing here today means you're going to have to think about all of those miracle stories again. Verse 34, Peter carries on. David didn't ascend into the heavens, he says, but David himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This short snippet is a quote from Psalm 110 another prophetic psalm that was looking forward to the coming Messiah, the coming saviour of God's people, bringing the kingdom of God in to rule over the world, to bring justice and release for those who have been trapped in captivity by this world's cruelty. Seriously, um, set yourself a homework. Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, go and read them. The glory of God's promised Messiah and the threat that he's going to bring justice to those who are treating each other unjustly is well worth checking out. Again, Peter's using this quote to say, David didn't do this. Come on, guys, think about it. This is about the Messiah, the Savior, the Holy One. Verse 36, Peter continues and turns to the crowd and says, after his quote, let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Both Lord and Christ, both the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, and the Lord. Now that's massive. That's a mic drop moment. Hey crowd, hey men of Israel, this Jesus you've heard about? Yeah, he's the Christ, the Messiah, and the Lord. You should not only thank God for Jesus as your Messiah, but you should worship Jesus. He's your Lord. He's God. Which means, to refer back to verse 21, when Peter was explaining uh, what the Holy Spirit's activity was, using the quote from the prophet Joel, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This means that we are to call on the name of Jesus to be saved. And without trying to spoil Morag's thunder for her talk here next week, because I'm borrowing a bit of her passage, it is the name of of the Lord Jesus, that the crowds who go, yeah, I'm in, I'm convinced, then get baptized into. 
Sorry, mate, there's loads of other good stuff in there, though, yeah. <laughs> I just want to draw your attention as well to the fact that in this talk of Peter's, in this, as early as Pentecost, we see Peter talking about God, the Father, about Jesus, the Messiah Lord, and the Holy Spirit of God in one talk. Right from this time, they're recognizing three persons of God. They're working out what God has revealed about himself, getting towards an understanding of Trinity even as early as Pentecost. Peter's argument in his sermon to the crowds was a combination of scripture application. Hey guys, you all know this doctrine. Yeah, this that you know about. Let me draw your attention to that. Them being first-hand witnesses. Hey guys, you know that we saw this, right? Here I am, come and poke me. I'm real, and I watched it. And thirdly, the crowd's own supernatural experience of God at work. The language is miracle that drew the crowd in the first place. I think there's a really good model here for us telling people about Jesus in this world. And it goes like this. Number one, truth claim. There is a God, by the way. Number two, witness testimony. Actually, I've seen this stuff. Come and ask me about it. And number three, encounter. So number one, here's what the scripture claims about Jesus. Number two, here's my experience of God in my life. I'm a real witness to this reality, and I'm right in front of you. And number three, hey, should we try praying, actually? I can invite God to meet you right now. Come, Lord, would you show yourself to this person? Show them your power to back up what I've said about you and have them to meet you for themselves. I'm going to tag out for a minute and tell you a story of a new friend of mine. So uh, we do this thing on a Friday in the way Pat called Pub Church, one o'clock onwards, and I warmly invite you to it. It's great. Uh, there are cheesy nachos and there are cheesy jokes. It is lovely. Come along and bring your deep theological questions and your questions about rugby's insane uh, Scotland's victory over Fiji. What was so? Any chat at all is completely legit. So um, someone, a friend, uh, a member with Kingdom Vineyard, brought along a friend to meet this bunch of weird Christians who hang out in the back of the waypad, and uh, this friend was hearing about what these weird Christians believe, and then uh, I had a little chat with this person and said, "Do you know what?" Uh, you've, you've kind of heard what these people are claiming, and now I'd love to try to pray for you. How do you feel about that? And uh, generous as this person is, they agreed. And I was like, okay, it's going to be great. I'm going to ask God for a word or a picture, and it's going to show you that he loves you firsthand. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to show you that God has given me information about your life because he loves you. Come, Holy Spirit, let's pray. Any picture you like, Lord, anything to show this person that you love them, that'd be great. That's just, yeah. Okay, cool, fine, that's, that's fine, that's fine. Well, I'll just pray that God blesses you, shall I? <laughs> nice one, Lord, thanks. So I took a risk. I, I, uh, I'm quite used to looking silly, and I opted to do so again, and it went badly. Thank you very much, it's a gift. Um, <laughs> anyway, this person, not put off by the weird Christians that they've met, then came along here that Sunday morning, a couple of weeks back this, and uh, you know, the service looked all right. And then at the end, uh, we had a little chat, and I said, oh, what did you think of it? And yeah, yeah, well, you're praying for me. It was rubbish, Jim, but, um, but the service was all right. <laughs> oh, great. And so they said, no, actually, that's not quite true, because you prayed a blessing for me, and actually, I felt the benefit of that blessing later on that day. Oh, 
Oh, yeah, nice one, God. Yeah, that's good. Well, I tell you what, I can ask for more of that, if you like. I can ask God to bless you again. And this kind person agreed. Oh, great. So I pray that God would bless this. And it was just a nice prayer of, Lord, would you bless them? You know, and I mean them, but it's, it's not particularly revelatory or supernatural. Just, Lord, would you bless them? Give them a nice time and, and show them your love. Great. And then he gave me a picture. Yeah, thanks, God. So I shared a picture of just like a, a, like a childhood toy, thinking, I've no idea what this means for you, but it might mean something or, you know, I'll risk looking stupid again. And this was, wow, how did you know? This is hugely significant. This ties into a significant part of my childhood. This is showing me that God knows about even, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, nice one. Thanks, Lord. Silly as I look, taking a chance to say, I would love to give you a shot at meeting God and experiencing his love for you firsthand is well worth it. Because sometimes, usually at my expense, he'll drop something in that will bless that person, will change their life and show them, hang on a second, there is a God who loves me or I've got to go and work this out. I think these three ingredients are a great bedrock for us sharing Jesus with our friends in East Fife today. Number one, by telling them that there is a God, by telling them who Jesus is, you give them a chance to know who it is who we want to introduce them to. Number two, by standing as a real-life, honest witness to what God has done in your own life, you have the credibility of having seen it yourself, not just repeating someone else's lines or doctrine. What a difference there is between this church believes X, Y, Z and I've seen God do these things. What a huge difference there is in that. Your lived experience, each and every one of you, is far more interesting and believable as a resource than any printed doctrine or book. But, thirdly, even better than your friend hearing your experience is you giving them the chance to experience meeting God for themselves. That is why, in this church, we are so keen on people encountering God. That's one of the reasons that we open up an opportunity for people to receive prayer on a Sunday morning. That's why, although we absolutely don't switch off our brains when we come to meet God, that's why we really value meeting with him even more than talking about him. I could happily talk with you, explain to you the reason for the faith in God that I have. I even enjoy doing that. But I know that a far more effective way of you coming to meet the Father who created you and loves you and wants that relationship back is to give you the chance to meet him for yourself. And he wants to be known. He wants to meet each of us to show us the love that he has for us. He's offering us, and through us who know him already, a real relationship, not membership of a beliefs club. If you're here this morning and you don't have that sort of relationship with God, can I warmly invite you to give him a try? Give him a chance to meet you? Not for quotas for us, not because I'll feel good about it, but because I think that there is a God who loves you and that actually meeting him is the best thing you could do with your short days on this earth. You might even have felt a nudge of his presence in the time of worship we had earlier. People often do. So why not, this morning, give him a try 
Why not see if God gives any of us a word or a picture that's just a special message for you? Or even give us a chance to pray, would you come, Holy Spirit of God, and meet this person and see if you feel anything? Take a brave step forward at the end of me talking to come and be prayed for. There'll be some other people so you can hide amongst them and it'll be fine. Just as it was in the miracle of languages at Pentecost, the work of the Holy Spirit, the action that he always performs is to give glory to Jesus and to connect us with him. That was his work in the Gospels, in the New Testament, in the early church, and it's the work that he continues today when we invite him to come and to show us God's love and Jesus' lordship. To conclude our look at this morning's passage, this Jesus, who you've heard about, he's the Christ, the Messiah. And what's more, he's the Lord. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's attested by, vouched for by God, protected by God, advocated for by God the Father. And his name has power to call upon. That same guy that you, men of Israel, murdered on a cross, yeah, God raised him from the dead. Having foreknown what you do, having planned to give Jesus glory, having poured out his Holy Spirit to confirm all of this, all of Israel, all of God's people, all of the world need to recognize this and turn to Jesus. And so I'll finish this morning with the place that Jeremy led us to last time and that Morag will take us to next week. That all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Saved from a life without the God who created us for a loving relationship from him. Saved into a new and an exciting fullness of life with the joy, the peace, the power of God active in us. This miracle is all about Jesus. Peter's speech is a big explanatory signpost to Jesus. A warning to repent from having rejected him. An invitation to come to him now, to meet him and be reunited to him. And a promise that all who call upon his name will be saved. And so, let's do just that, shall we? Why don't you stand and I'll pray for you. So Father God, I want to thank you for the gift of Jesus. To thank you for the work of your Holy Spirit. To thank you that you, Father God, never gave up on us, but instead have reached out to us through the twin arms of your Son and your Spirit to draw us back into the embrace that we were built for. We praise you, God. And right now we invite you to come to fill this room, to fill this space, to come and meet us. Lord God, as we spend time now in prayer and in worship, 